Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The European Championships with Football Social Daily. There's just two days to go before Euro 2020 fever takes over the footballing world and here at Football Social Daily we're all set for a summer of action. Welcome along to the latest episode on the road to the competition as it's Wednesday again I'll be hosting once more, I'm Marley Anderson if you didn't know already and we'll be talking haircuts, managerial developments, transfer rumours and probably a whole lot more if you've listened to anything that I've ever hosted before in the meantime. There's also a chance for your questions to be answered at the end of the podcast on our AQA section. So if there's anything burning a hole in your head in the coming week, just send us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via our personal emails, which we, you'll have to guess because no one's uh, no one's going to tell you them because there's quite a few people who are angry with things that uh, we've said over the years. So we won't <laughs> give those away. Anyway, joining me today on the show is Niall Corn. How are you doing, Niall? Are you, uh, you still enjoying this sun? I am. Well, I was until last night. I just couldn't sleep. I was too hot. And it was one of those horrible just, muggy nights, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, couldn't settle, couldn't rest. I live opposite a pub as well. And obviously, it's been quite quiet at around 11 midnight every evening. Because obviously, no one's been in the pub for months. And now, obviously, yeah. the pubs are open again. So, kick-out time has become a real thing in my life. So, just <laughs> as I was settling down and getting over the heat, the shouting and screaming started. But I'm not going to complain. It's nice to hear people out and enjoying themselves again. Yeah, I think we've got to that point where... Um, a, a fan becomes like the most sought after thing in the world and all of a sudden a, a, like a, a rotary fan goes from like £15 to about 35 because everyone's trying to run around and get them but uh, also joining us today is Ian Brannan, classic Wednesday lineup with Ian, a staple part of it. How are you doing today Ian? Yeah I'm good thanks and um well, like Niall, I had a fairly decent night's sleep, as you ask, and uh, no pubs near where I am. Uh, all good on the east coast, nice and cool. But I do have <clears throat> that sea breeze. Yeah, and it, it, it is it is very welcome this week. Uh, I do have my uh, 
UEFA Euro 2020 wall chart. Um, so I feel like I'm fully keyed up. We've got all the venues, previous winners, top goal scorers from the past, and all the fixtures in your day-by-day guide. <laughs> I can hear it rustling around in the background there. <laughs> I'm jealous. That's what I need. I haven't got one yet. I don't know whether I've... Uh, I, th- I thought I'd sort of grew out of it, you know, being 30 in three weeks' time. <laughs> then I thought, oh, I'd really love a wall chart, especially because <laughs> we in in this uh, new house that I've moved into a couple of months ago, we're still waiting on a um, uh, a mirror to come for the for the chimney breast. I think, what can I put there? Because it looks a bit bare at the minute. What can I, I put there? Wall and then I thought, oh, if I had a wall chart, I'd stick it there and just wind Kelly up for uh, <laughs> for the for the next month or so. It's, it, it's the only way you can actually keep track of what's going on because there's so much going on. You can't do that really on a on a website or, or an app. It's You need that physical thing in front of you so you can just look and have a full map of yeah. exactly where we're at. 100%. It's like a, it's a staple of football in sort of history, isn't it? You know, every yeah. two years for a month, every summer, you've got something filled in. I remember used to have them on my, on my walls as a kid. Uh, filling in, I think the 2002 World Cup when Miroslav Klose just scored goal after goal after goal, uh, and it was just Germany winning, and then I think Brazil won it in the end, didn't they? But yeah, um, that's that's us all excited for the Euros, and you should be too as well because from Monday we've got uh, we're back up to daily podcasts, and so I think we we kick off the Euros on Friday. England's first game is on Sunday, that's the 13th of June, and then from the 14th of June, the day after, we'll be talking about the England game um, on the Monday's podcast, and then we'll be daily, so we'll be talking about all the games that happened the day before on the on the podcast we'll all be trying to randomly keep up with all the games so we can talk about everything um i don't know who's going to cover the north macedonia versus you know slovakia group or whatever it is but we'll soon find <laughs> yeah. out i think i might put myself over for that and watch uh Ezgian Alioski. Oh, maybe that could be one for you, Ian. He's a Leeds player, isn't he? So, there you go. Sorry, Ian. I think playing as, yeah, there's Alioski and there's, um, there's, there's Click in there is, uh, I think, a uh, place for Poland. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on. It's, it's a busy start, though, because you've got Wales on Saturday, England Sunday, Scotland Monday. And, uh, yeah, you, you, we, it's, it's, it's going to be all, all exciting, the, the magic of the cup. Yeah, well, we have got, um, obviously, long-time listeners will know that we've got a couple of Scottish guys ready and waiting for the Euros. They've been waiting a lifetime to even qualify to get here. So <laughs> JP and uh, and uh, Callum will be joining us at some point next week to talk over the Tartan Army and see what's going on there. And probably not in best of moods when they get slapped 7-0 by uh, Croatia on the opening game or whoever it is. But Czech, Re- Czech Republic for Scotland. Oh, Czech Republic. Oh, that's a... Yeah. Uh, well, they've had it. Well, they are playing Croatia further into it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, Czech Republic. I forgot about that. Uh, they've got history there as well with the um, with the Czechs, uh, with the racism thing with Rangers. So that, that, that could be interesting. But anyway, we'll look forward to that next week because we're going to have to focus on what's happened this week. Um, it's been kind of quiet um, with the everything just uh, the build up to the Euros. But we what we do have is something which has been, in my opinion, blown massively out of proportion. I didn't expect this to get all the headlines it did. But basically, Phil Foden's had a haircut. And that is, I was watching the, I don't know if you guys seen, watched the, the 10 o'clock news last night, but I was watching it. It made the 10 o'clock news, like the national news. It was like the, the fourth story in Phil Foden's had his haircut. And if you've missed this somehow, um, just run through it. Phil Foden's had his haircut um, and dyed silver. And he looks a little bit like Gaza from 1996. Um, also looks a little bit like Eminem. 
And also, if you <laughs> if you know who Judge Rinder is, he also looks a little bit like Judge Rinder. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it it got me thinking. Um, Niall, what is the the worst haircut you've ever had? Still got it. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say um, that. <laughs> um, I don't know. To be fair, I've, I've tend to. I've always like over my life. I can't believe we're talking about haircuts on this podcast. Over my life, I've tended to like grow my hair long and then cut it short, and then grow it long and cut it short. I don't know whether it's because I'm too lazy to have a haircut or whether I just prefer having longer hair. Um, I just think it suits me better. I don't know about the worst haircut I've ever had. To be honest, um, I was looking at some photos of me when I was very young, so like when I was sort of a toddler, and I did have a classic bowl haircut. Yeah. Um, proper 90s, sort of flat fringe over the eyebrows, sort of thing. So I guess that could go into the category <laughs> of the worst haircut. But when you're that young, it doesn't really count, does it? I just can't believe, like you say, that it's made the 10 o'clock news. Yeah. Like, he's had a haircut. It's bit, That's it. Blown out of proportion, hasn't it? Slightly. Oh, big time. And. There's this whole thing that's been going around on social media, obviously. People like to kind of uh, make their own comparisons and kind of uh, label players similar to other players from an era gone by. And obviously the nickname that Foden has kind of earned for himself, (laughs) he's got two, hasn't he? He's got that Stockport Iniesta and he's also got the Skin Fade Gascoigne. (laughs) And I think people are so keen to put two and two together because Gaza, by the way, in Euro 96, had blonde hair, not silver hair. So I don't know why anyone thinks he looks anything like Paul Gascoigne, because he absolutely doesn't. They're also, I don't think they're, they're that similar players, to be honest. But, um, but still, um, yeah, he's had a haircut, and who cares? It's not that big a deal, is it, to be honest? Um, it's just one of those things where Classic needs something to talk about before the Euros. So let's big it up and say that, you know, Phil Foden's got his haircut to look like Paul Gascoigne, when actually I think Foden's come out himself and said he's had the same haircut his whole life and he just wanted to change it up a bit. So there's not really much more to be said for it, I don't think. Yeah, very true. Uh, Ian, have you had uh, any hair hair nightmares that you can throw into the mix that you can let us let us in on? Yeah, well, I see my hair is, is relatively thin in terms of its <laughs> diameter. I know hair is thin anyway, but mine's really thin. So it means I can do very little with it apart from put some wax on it. I've discovered this in later life. But um, you know, mid to late 90s, I did try to attempt to grow the, the curtains, which were <laughs> uh, a, 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 good, uh, a, a good fashionable haircut for many at the time, but, but not with my particular standard of hair. And as I did it, basically, it, it, it kind of stuck to my head and didn't grow very long, so it didn't kind of go out with as much volume. So I, I sort of looked a little bit like a, a 1920s vicar in a murder mystery. <laughs> so it, 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 was, it was not something I really want to repeat, Particularly, as for Phil Foden, though, I, I think that it, uh, you know, he does look a bit like Gaza, and um, he's also, uh, he's also. I was reading a, a piece from him where he was talking about the haircut and and saying it is kind of accidental, but you know, he's, he's not gonna. He's not going to knock any comparisons with Gaza's haircut because he's a bit of a Gaza fan. But also is a, a nod to Eminem in there as well. He said um, the thing was that that when Eminem was big in the charts, Phil Foden was, was wasn't going to be born for four years. So <laughs> even there, he's looking at Eminem as a bit of a retro star. Same as Gaza, wasn't Gaza retired when Phil Foden was? Oh born? yeah, well yeah, we yeah, would definitely have been. I'm just wondering if Phil Foden will, in in later years, if we were to get into a time machine and zap forward to 2035, uh, will he be phoning a local radio station suggesting he's heading to a local crime scene with chicken, a fishing rod and a dressing gown? That's the big question. (laughs) I've just remembered that um, in the the 2002 World Cup, I had the David Beckham uh, mohawk 
and wow. I had the red spray paint as well in the top of it. Do you remember that? Classic. Yeah. <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, when it, it is it is sort of a, a traditional thing, I think, though, with with England players and, and and with with players of any nationality come a big tournament. You always get one who who goes for it with the hair, and like you say, Beckham's done it. Wayne Rooney's done it in the past. You know, it's it is <laughs> it is a bit of a thing, isn't it? You always get one that comes out with with the haircut that that gets the tongues wagging, and because there's nothing to talk about at this stage, the press go mad for it because it's it's just a little something, isn't it, to feed off? Yeah, well, I remember that Ronaldo did his did his fringe, didn't he, to stop everyone talking about whether he uh, had a knee injury and going into the 2002 World Cup or something like that. So he's, that he just at the bit of the front. Yeah, left? he grew that dodgy fringe. Yeah, yeah. well, I said grew it. He cut everything else. Yeah. I don't know whether this is true, but JP, remember JP said on a podcast a few months back that the reason Ronaldo got that haircut was because his kid was very small at home watching the Brazil team on TV and his child couldn't distinguish between him and Roberto Carlos. So he had his hair cut in a mad fashion so that <laughs> the, the child could figure out which one was him. Wow. I wonder I wonder what's true. There's, it's one of them like Chinese whispers kind of thing, isn't it? It gets changed over the years what the, uh, yeah. what the actual rule was anyway maybe one day we'll we'll get to interview Ronaldo uh, El Phenomeno on uh, Football Social oh, Daily that'll be a one good of my favourite ever players oh, that, that'll so be a good, good podcast um, but yeah let's uh, let's move on so it, I'm sort of I'm sort of looking at this as a little bit more of a serious note on the Foden thing I know we've, we've had our laughs about bad haircuts and all the rest of it but on a slightly more serious note, I think everyone's loving this this haircut, and there's been an outpouring of, oh look how good Phil Foden is, and oh, isn't he a laugh and all this. Is there mm. anything more serious in this, Niall, about the difference between Foden having a haircut and someone like Paul Pogba having a haircut, and us saying, well, not us, but pundits mm. saying, you know, oh he's just concentrating on his hair again and all this. Yep. Paul Pogba gets. Far, far more stick than Phil Foden does for changing his hair. And there's no way that anyone can tell me that that's not true. If you just type in Paul Pogba hair, articles come up on Google. I know that's the case now with Phil Foden because he's had a haircut, but people that have suggested in the media, and there are people that have done this, that Paul Pogba, his footballing ability is being detracted from because he's focusing on his haircut. That's absolute nonsense. And to be perfectly honest, it's just a haircut. And this annoys me because, you know, I understand people get annoyed about... I mean, you can get annoyed about these things. People can irritate you and annoy you irrationally. That's just human nature. But to say that someone isn't playing as well on the football pitch because they're concentrating on what their hair looks like, that's just absolute rubbish. I mean, to to suggest that Paul Pogba doesn't play particularly well when he's had a haircut, I mean, I just think that's a load of rubbish. Jesse Lingard's another good example. Yeah, he's a bit of a man-child, Jesse Lingard. He, I mean, he's older than me. He's he's in his late 20s and he still goes around dancing and singing and, and being a bit of a fool behind the scenes. But people love him for it and that's his character and that's who he is. You know, and he probably isn't going to change now if he hasn't changed already. And why should he? Because that doesn't detract from his ability on the football pitch. You know, if he wants to score a goal and celebrate like a Muppet, that's up to him. Like, that's totally up to him. And it doesn't detract from his ability playing football. So I do certainly think that there is more focus placed on certain players when they do change their appearance. And naturally, when you are a, a sort of a superstar in the game, I mean, David Beckham, we've already mentioned him. He's, he's an excellent example because everything David Beckham did almost became sort of culturally relevant 
whether that be the tattoos he the got thing wasn't it whatever he got everyone else absolutely got. yeah so you know whether that's just part of the part and parcel of being a player these days when you're in the public eye then then you know there there's an argument to be had for that but to be to be honest i, I just think that there is so much sort of hot air that's been made over the fact that Paul Pogba gets a haircut or whatever. I do think he is targeted for the way he looks sometimes. And, and I think that that is something that certainly needs to be addressed. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Uh, I just do wonder what Graeme Souness thinks of uh, Foden's new haircut. See if he has that same sort of same sort of uh, outlook on things. But Ian, do you think there's anything anything sinister in, in this? Or is it just a, a, a one-off thing and we, we won't make anything of it when Foden's hair goes back to a different colour or whatever. Nah, I don't think there's anything sinister in it. I think, as 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 I sort of mentioned just before, that we're in a period where there's nothing to talk about. Um, there's no matches happening. We're in that period between now and the weekend when things get underway. Um, there's very little coming out of the training camps. No new news. Footballer gets haircut. Oh, well, there's something to talk about. Fills the column inches. People love... Um, you know, the rock and roll side of football. And uh, a friend of mine that I know that um, works in the, obviously I do these Speedway, Speedway podcasts, and I, on, on the, the, the podcast that we did um, a few weeks ago, a guy's called Phil Lanning. Um, Phil is a uh, journalist for the Sun newspaper and has been for 20 years. And he was, he was saying what makes the headlines, what they want. And what they want is sex, drugs and rock and roll. They don't want to know about what's happened in the match, particularly. They don't want to know about the, the the generic everyday happenings of football. They want to know the stuff that's different, that pe- that's going to get people talking. And what are we doing now? We're talking about his haircut. And, and that's the kind of thing that interests people. It's as simple as that. And that's what newspapers are interested in. If there's nothing happening on the pitch, there's nothing, no new action to talk about, no scandal, well, we'll dig a bit of scandal out of a, of a, of a haircut. It's as simple as that. There's just nothing else going on. Now, if there was something more exciting going on in the world of football, whatever that might be, you can be pretty sure that a new haircut would be much further down the pecking order. It's just that thing. It's just that that right moment. That's why haircuts regularly get talked about before before tournaments, because there's no else going on. Um, that's, that's all it is. I don't think it's sinister. And I think some players perhaps have more of a reputation of being a bit more of a playboy, a bit more of a, you know, uh, a bit more out there. Um, maybe Pogba's one of those. And so when you have that kind of uh, lifestyle, perhaps, that of which you've become accustomed, then the haircut is going to get more focused than perhaps, say, Phil Foden's, who's a bit more of a, a surprise. And... I think you've got to be able, you've got to be a confident person though to firstly have that haircut and then take that haircut onto a pitch in front of millions on TV as well. So you've got to follow it up with a performance and maybe it amplifies the performance having a haircut that's bright red and uh, makes you easily identifiable. <laughs> I don't know, it just makes you stand out. <laughs> I think that's all it is. Though. I don't think it's anything sinister. Yeah. I just think it's you've got a load of journalists hanging around outside hotels with notes to talk about and then footballer comes out with a new haircut and it's like, well, there's, there's my job done for the day. See you tomorrow. <laughs> well, we'll see if he can uh, certainly make the impact that his hair has in the coming weeks when England kick off their campaign against Croatia on Sunday. But for me, nothing will ever beat the Romania team 
um, when they all dyed their hair peroxide blonde ahead of their first game. I think it was, was it Euro '96. I think it hmm. might have been. Um, and they all ended up um, looking <laughs> looking like eleven M and M's on the pitch, on the pitch. Um, but that was uh, that was something that maybe we'll go for <laughs> next time. I'd love to see Harry Maguire and, uh, <laughs> and Harry Kane with a, a skin fade. Uh, blonde peroxide outlook on things but we'll move this on let's i'm sick of talking about hair um so let's move this on to some actual football um and something that caught my eye yesterday from from uh, the athletic was uh, a report that antonio conte's move to spurs um was obviously we all know it, it's gone it's gone down the pan and and conte's decided he's not going to take over spurs um, but basically, this this report said that Spurs players had and quote reservations over Antonio Conte, according to the Athletic. Um, and one thing that was was mooted was his extreme and demanding methods put off some of the players who. But you know, one hmm. player had spoken to a lot of them have probably spoken to Christian Eriksen basically and said, "What do you like?" Um, and he said. It's hard. It's it's demanding. It's intense. It's very physical, and he shouts a lot and all that. And Spurs players have gone. Oh, that doesn't sound good. And basically, <laughs> Niall, is it, uh, where are they coming from with this? Because you know, all I'm thinking is Spurs haven't won. Spurs have won naff all in fourteen years. And the, and the guy comes in who's going to work them hard and get something out of it, or, or potentially, and they've all gone, whoa, we've dodged a bullet there. This guy won the Premier League with Victor Moses at right wing back. Like He's a winner. This guy's a winner. And yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, the Spurs players are going, whoa, don't really fancy that guy. Like he's won two. He's won the Premier League. He's won Serie A. He's won all kinds of awards around the world, but Spurs players didn't fancy him. Yeah, this is a really strange report, isn't it, from The Athletic? And it makes you try and figure out in your head which Spurs players are the ones that have kind of brought this to light or at least brought this up to the powers that be at Tottenham. I think that it isn't quite what it seems on face value in terms of Daniel Levy is basically the boss of Tottenham and he'll be the one that makes the decision at the end of the day. And whether there are reasons as to why or other reasons... Uh, on top of that as to why Antonio Conte wasn't offered the job or isn't going to be um, taken on as the new Spurs manager obviously will, will remain to be seen and he gets the final say at the end of the day Daniel Levy so so maybe he has listened to the players um, and maybe he does have a close relationship to the players but I'm just thinking now which players are the ones that would have expressed a disinterest in having Antonio Conte as the manager because I'm looking at this squad I've got it in front of me here and there's not too many names that leap off the page in terms of, oh, they might be the one that's thrown a spanner in the works. If you're looking at the senior players, obviously Hugo Lloris, the goalkeeper, is the captain. Toby Alderweireld is an, ex- is an experienced centre-half. And then you've got, on, on top of that, it's Harry Kane, but I can't imagine he'll be someone who would who would say that sort of thing. Deli Alley's another, Eric Dyer's another. So I'm just looking here at the players that they've got and the, the, the players that you would think would be the ones that would be sort of brash enough and big enough to stand up and make a comment about the training methods and the training styles but you're absolutely right Marley beggars can't be choosers and at the moment Tottenham are beggars they've not won in in 14 years as you say 
pretty embarrassing for them. You know, my club, Portsmouth, have won a trophy more recently than Tottenham. Wigan Athletic have won a trophy more recently than Tottenham. You know, they're just two clubs that are down in League One. So it's like, it's a pretty embarrassing situation that Tottenham Hotspur find themselves in, in terms of trying to be considered one of the elite clubs in England, of which they are, by the way, I'm not discrediting that. But certainly in terms of silverware and trophy cabinets, it's gathering dust and they need to kind of put a stop to this monkey on the back of you've never won a trophy. And if you're trying to bring in a winning manager like they did in Jose Mourinho and then they sacked him when he got them to a cup final, they sacked another manager, Maurizio Pochettino, when he got them to a cup final. And Antonio Conte is another top quality coach who will more than likely bring success to Tottenham Hotspur. I just wonder who these players are. And I don't want to point fingers and try and speculate and guess, but I think it's quite difficult to figure out which players are the ones that have stood up and said, no, we're not keen. Ian, do you think this this rather sums up the the biggest problem Spurs have got? It's not not winning. It's the fact that they seem to be um, scared to put in the work almost, and and too happy to be mediocre and and say, oh, it's you know, it's a good job we didn't get him in because you know we'd have had to work really hard. You know, it's, it's do they have to do something different to to win things and to progress as a club? Well, yeah, they do, and and I think. I'd take Antonio Conte because the other option, you know, I take it by that they're not going to be interested in Marcelo Bielsa, who is 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 is, is work, a lot harder working than uh, than Antonio Conte by all accounts. Murder ball for fifty six minutes nonstop. Yeah. Um, as a uh, as a as a Leeds United under 11s side, I've just we'll, found out. We'll tell you after this week. Just pick, picking all their organs up off the uh, off the training pitch as we speak. I mean, it, it just shows I think that Spurs is in chaos. You got the tail wagging the dog. That's the first red alarm that's going off in my mind and perhaps they do need to work more as you mentioned they they haven't actually won anything and it's like saying well as if the Spurs players are all Galacticos who have, have won every title that, that, that known to man and, and that can sit back and sort of decide who is going to take them on to greater success Spurs have won nothing the lack of silverware remember was even mocked by Dulux when someone tweeted they can now paint their trophy cabinet <laughs> Dulux replied saying don't be silly surfaces need to be dust free before painting <laughs> I don't understand where this invite to the big six comes from with Spurs. It just all comes out that there is an absolute arrogance about them. Because apart from cash, they last won a league title in 1961. That's the same year Gary Lineker was was born, the same season. And look where Gary Lineker is now. Um, They last won the FA Cup in 1991. And in that time, Virgil van Dijk has been born, gone to school, won a Premier League, a Champions League, three Scottish Championships, a Scottish League Cup, a Super Cup and a Club World Cup. Spurs last won a trophy in 2008, as you mentioned, 13 years ago. And since that time, while Spurs have won nothing, Conte's won one Italian second division title, four Serie A titles, three with Juventus and one with Inter as recently as last month, two Italian Super Cups, an FA Cup and a Premier League title. And yet Spurs players don't think he's the right man for the job. And... As we've just done there with Virgil van Dijk and with Antonio Conte, you're judged on your silverware in years to come. When you look up how good is a person, a player or a team, it's, it's what silverware's in the cabinet. And currently Spurs have got none. And you've got players there who might be sat in a fancy stadium acting all Billy Big Balls, but apart from one League Cup 13 years ago, Tottenham have won nothing. And most of those players haven't won anything either. So, mm. yeah, they do need somebody to lead them on to something better. I think there's some concerning quotes and comments coming out surrounding Tottenham Hotspur 
anyway, Marley, in sort of a wider context as well. I saw someone yesterday posting a, an article which suggested that their new stadium, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the best stadium in Europe, perhaps even in the world, cost a billion pounds, was built as an NFL venue, was built purely with the American footballers in mind and not with the Premier League footballers in mind. And yeah. that Tottenham Hotspur are merely the lead tenants of the stadium. And basically it was built with the viewpoint of the being the home of the NFL away from home or the UK home or the European home of the NFL. That was what it was built for with that in mind. And apparently several NFL bigwigs were involved in the consultation process in terms of the building of the stadium. No, well, they were. They were, definitely. That's, that's not just a rumour, yeah. That's quite, that's quite staggering, isn't it? Don't you think? This is Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, a huge football club in this country, a historical football club, and one that doesn't think of its own fans first when building a new stadium. Very strange. Anyway, that's just for another day. Well, the, the, the London are going to get a uh, um, an NFL team eventually. I think that's the the thing in the next maybe five years or less, and um, yep. and they need cool. a, a regular ground for that to be based on. So the NFL were heavily involved in that um, construction of the stadium from the point of view because obviously there is an uh, an NFL pitch underneath the grass the grass slides out, out of the, of the, the Tottenham mm. Stadium, and the NFL pitch is there. And uh, the rumor is the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to move over and uh, become the London Jaguars and um or something like that and um mm. uh, and 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 they'll be based there so yeah there is definitely a long term view for the NFL to be heavily involved um at that stadium but um yeah it's going to be interesting and by the way there's 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 a an outside chance of um, speedway <laughs> believe it or not going into the Tottenham stadium in uh, in years to come so watch this space yeah it certainly feels like there's some strange decisions that have been made and they're looking like being made as well so Spurs have got to get this next couple of years right otherwise they could fall off the, the map quite severely but we'll see maybe if there's an NFL team maybe someone will win something at the London <laughs> at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium it still winds me up that it's called the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as well they need to bloody name that thing it, it's winding me up having, having to write it all the time because it just sounds so poor but you know it'd probably be called the Daniel Levy will probably sell it to I don't know, Dulux or something, the Dulux Stadium or something, I don't know, but maybe uh, the London Silly Nannies can win something or whoever moves there in the NFL, but we'll we'll have to see in the next few years, but let's leave it there for the first, uh, first part of the podcast. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking transfer rumours, and there's a potentially huge sign-in coming into another part of uh, London, but we'll talk about that after this. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We've been talking about the... Uh, well, the absolute state that Spurs are in at the minute for the hundredth time this season, it seems like. Um, even in the summer, they can't get away from the dodgy decisions that are affecting their outcome on everything. Uh, but we'll move it on to another part of London now because there's been transfer rumours flying around in this weird period where one season's ended but the uh, the summer of football hasn't quite kicked off yet. And the one thing that's uh, attracting the main headlines is a certain Norwegian kid called Erling Haaland, who is was always linked with Man City and possibly even uh, even Man United at times, Erling Haaland. But reports in the last couple of days, which do seem to carry some weight, um, suggest that he's been targeted by Chelsea. And the rumour is that it's around £170 million However, the deal will be make-weighted um, by a part exchange with Tammy Abraham, 
plus cash. Now, Niall, I'm not sure about you, but do you think... Um, See, to me, this this makes more sense than a lot of what I've seen so far because no one's got the the capital to just splooge it all on on Erling Haaland in 170 million pounds, for example, or 150, whatever it might be. Do you think Tammy Abraham? What is he rated? Maybe 40 million. If you if you say to that, can would you get uh, 100 million? plus Tammy Abraham, that's 140 in total, and you get a ready-made replacement for Erling Haaland. Do you think that makes sense? Yeah, I think we'll see a few of these this summer, Marley, these player-plus-cash deals. I think there's a few being talked up at Manchester City as well already um, regarding a few Barcelona players, which I'm sure will gather some momentum as the summer rolls on. But yeah, Tammy Abraham plus cash, it's not a bad deal, is it? And they're going to need a lot of cash, Chelsea, to sign Erling Haaland. I think they do have plenty of it. I don't think Roman Abramovich is... Uh, short of a few quid that's for sure so yeah I think this is an interesting one and if you look at the strikers that Chelsea have got obviously they've got Timo Werner, Tammy Abraham and Olivier Giroud and Giroud has just signed a new one-year contract extension or Thomas Tuchel has opted to take up the extension in his contract so he's there at least for another year. Michi Batshuayi was farmed out on loan to Crystal Palace and you know, he was being kept out of the side by Christian Benteke by the end and wasn't really getting any games at all. Didn't do anything, did no, he? No, and I don't... Three or four goals all season. Absolutely, and I don't think he's got much of a future at Chelsea. Although, you know, under Antonio Conte, ironically, two or three years ago was when he played his best football. Uh, and then he ended up getting loaned out the next season anyway. So, Michi Batshuayi, I don't... He's He's been at Dortmund Ex- well. Exactly, so there is a relationship there um, between Chelsea and Dortmund in terms of, uh, of signing strikers. You're right. And Tammy Abraham isn't fancy by Thomas Tuchel at all. Wasn't even in the Champions League squad for the final to take on Manchester City just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, Thomas Tuchel opted to put two goalkeepers on the bench. He put Willy Caballero, who's now just been released by Chelsea. He put him on the bench instead of Tammy Abraham. So surely Abraham must be questioning his future at Chelsea especially considering he was getting in England squads as regularly as as last season and was now nowhere near the selection for the Euros simply because he hasn't had enough game time. So certainly I think Tammy Abraham does have the quality and the ability to go over to the Bundesliga and score goals. And I don't see why this move wouldn't make sense. Erling Haaland to Chelsea, part exchange with Tammy Abraham to knock a bit of cash off the deal. Although my gut instinct tells me, and I've, I've no inside information at all but my gut instinct tells me that if I was Erling Haaland I'd still want to sign for Manchester City over Chelsea that might have changed now though because Chelsea won the Champions League they look a dangerous proposition under Thomas Tuchel lots of people tipping them to be the sort of title contenders the dark horse for next season whether that's tipped the scales in their favour in terms of this race for Erling Haaland I don't know but I think if I was uh, the young lad having seen my dad play for Manchester City having sort of supported the club growing up and going to games with your old man I still think that Manchester City would be Haaland's preferred destination but Chelsea have certainly made a strong case and and this is a a tempting offer I think for Dortmund if this is the case yeah definitely uh definitely seems like something and Ian it could be another case of a a young well relatively young English talent going and flourishing in the Bundesliga um we've seen it with Sancho we've seen it with Bellingham um Adam Ola-Luckman's been out there um, Damari Gray is at Hoffenheim right now so could it be another smart career choice for him because Dortmund are in the Champions League every year there's plenty of good good players at that club so does that make sense for him as well? 
Yeah, I think he certainly needs to get himself out of Chelsea. He's not going anywhere, is he? Because if if uh, he was in favour, he'd be playing more regularly. We won't be having this conversation and playing in Germany, as you mentioned. It's a decent place to go, a decent standard of football, um, and quite a few players have, have gone over there and, and flourished and, and done well. I was chatting with a friend of mine who's a Chelsea fan, actually, yesterday, and, and he's was quite wary of letting Tammy Abraham go because I think there's a general feeling that they don't give some of the younger players the chance. You know, they let them go further down the line, see them turning into a world beater, someone else, or even Chelsea themselves end up forking out a fortune to get them back. And look at some of the players that Chelsea saw no potential in, like Mo Salah, like Kevin De Bruyne, like Romelu Lukaku. They all were let go. Um in the last few years by by Chelsea and, and gone on to be some of the most successful players in the Premier League in Europe. I mean, Lukaku's just won the Inter title with, uh, with, with Conte. And, that uh, still stuns me, Ian, that Lukaku yeah. was never given a chance at Chelsea. He played something like 12 Premier League games. I mean, the man has he scored over 100 Premier League goals. <laughs> He's an absolute goal machine. I can't believe they never gave him a chance. It just shows you, doesn't it? And, and, and they're, they're far too trigger-happy, I think, at Chelsea. They, they do seem to want instant success, and we saw that with Frank Lampard. They don't give anybody time. And, and same with players. You know, they're quick to get them out the door, and then they flourish and become you know, the best player in the league. I mean, of course, not forgetting, not least, uh, Lord Patrick Bamford of Weatherby, who's uh, gone on to achieve uh, amazing things and uh, wasn't given a chance at, uh, at Chelsea. So... Yeah, I think there is that kind of wariness that, especially with Tammy Abraham having having got to the England setup and all this, know that he's got some talent in there. There's certainly something in there, but he's just not getting the chance. And yeah, whether and whether that's uh, at um, a European club in Germany like that or, or or somewhere else in in you know even in the Premier League where he's going to be uh, more of a starter or, or yeah. whatever. But let's not forget as well that uh, Erling Haaland, born in Leeds. <laughs> Maybe you'll uh, you'll fancy a bit of Bielsa ball in future. Who knows? Well, they tried. They tried um, a few years ago. You know when Leeds were um, when Leeds tossed it yeah. away, um, and they they were in the top two, and then at the last minute the wheels came off, and they ended up um, going out of the, uh, the the playoffs that year. Leeds had a young Erling Haaland at the training ground looking round and it was all kind of apparently bubbling on that it could have been a possibility had Leeds got promoted that year and they didn't and Sheffield United did and uh, hey the rest is history well you got <laughs> there in the end and I'm sure the uh, the, de- the destination <laughs> is what it is maybe maybe he might have uh, he might have flopped I don't know who knows nah probably not <laughs> let's look at him he's an absolute freak of a player <laughs> what a player um, but we'll see if he comes to, uh, in to comes to Chelsea in the future another thing I was looking at as well actually um, I was trying to work out how many players Chelsea had on loan I think it's something like 33 players which is mental so I'm looking at this 170 odd million pound you know quote or whatever it might be so you're saying 40 million for Abraham that knocks it down to about 130 ish and then I mean look at some of the players that have got coming back this this um, this summer so Batuai we've mentioned there's Timui Bakayoko who's um, up, up for sale he's terrible you might get twenty million for him if you're lucky. I think he had an all right season at Napoli, so they might they might fancy him. Ruben Loftus Cheek, who's had more loans than Blockbuster and never done anything with him, he was he's a potential England international if he gets a move right. So that might, that might be ten fifteen million. Ross Barkley's a similar situation. You've mm-hmm. got Danny Drinkwater who'll raise you four pound fifty. Um, you've got Connor Gallagher who came back from West Brom. He's been linked with another loan move, but. You know, fifteen million could could take him to a a, a permanent club. Um, they've just sold for Kyo Tomori for twenty eight million. Ampadu coming back, David Zappacosta coming back. 
Then they've got another shocker. Yeah, I mean, awful players, but worth ten million in, if you're selling to an Italy, it's Italian club because they they like him over there. Obviously, he's, he's quite highly rated over there. But then you look at um, who they've got in the squad, and there's rumours about Ziyech leaving and and Emerson Palmieri going as well. And all of a sudden, you think if you can have a fire sale and get rid of all them, you could maybe raise a hundred million pounds. And all of a sudden, the outlay on Erling Haaland becomes 35, 40 million pound. So it's mm-hmm. it's not that much money when you've got that many players that you can possibly sell. But obviously there's work to do for Chelsea. We'll see what they do in the summer um, and we'll see how serious they are about this uh, about this move. But see if they can upstage Manchester City, who are also in the transfer market and talking about doing serious things. I think Khaldun, Chairman Khaldun, was talking about um, adding a couple of players of real quality, which scares me, to be honest, because they absolutely walked away with the Premier League. I don't think they need any more quality, but they're going to get it anyway. Um, and one of those um, players that they've been talking about, Niall, is, uh, is Sol Niguez from Atletico mm. Madrid. Um, and they're talking about Bernardo Silva um, being a, a similar to the Abraham Haaland-style deal, almost like a straight swap more, though. Um, can you see this happening? Do you think Bernardo's that unhappy that he would take his chances elsewhere? I'm not sure, to be honest. Interestingly enough, Sam Lee, who's the Manchester City correspondent for The Athletic and regularly features on Football Social Daily, He's written a few articles on The Athletic about the sort of state of play in the dressing room at Manchester City. And even though they've just reached a Champions League final, they've just won a couple of trophies this season, including the Premier League. There is always dressing room politics, even in a successful dressing room. And it's up to managers and the top managers to sort that out. Pep Guardiola is no doubt one of those top managers. Bernardo Silva, I can't see him leaving Manchester City, to be honest. I really can't. And... I find this really strange. I don't think Manchester City would sell Bernardo Silva. Um, There's this whole talk that Manchester City need to reinvest and strengthen and and Haldun Al-Mubarak, the chairman of the CFG and Manchester City, he's spoken in interviews saying that the best time to strengthen is when you're on top. And Manchester City are no doubt on top of the Premier League right now. They've proven that with silverware this season. So whether the idea is to sell some players in order to fund better replacements I'm not so sure obviously part of CFG this the city football group you've got New York City you've got Melbourne City and there's several other clubs across the world in which they have lots of decent players and if they can sell a few of those that will boost the funds to kind of fuel their their flagship club which is Manchester City and if that means that they get a few extra quid to to buy some reinforcements and strengthen the squad then um, then that might be the way they go I just can't see Bernardo Silva leaving. I really rate Saul Nugeth as well. I think he's a very good player. Um, he's shown over seasons and seasons and seasons for Atletico Madrid, even though he's only 26 years old. He's been at Atletico for, what, eight or nine years now? And he's shown how effective he can be in both big games and just on a regular basis. He's a consistent performer. And those are the sort of players you want in any in any club. So, yeah, Nugeth is a decent player. Whether he's someone who I can see Manchester City coming in for, I'm not too sure. I can't see Bernardo Silva leaving. I think it's all very interesting at Manchester City at the moment. There seems to be lots of players linked with moves away, and I don't know whether that's just typical transfer summer speculation or whether there's any legitimacy in any of them, but I'd be surprised, I'll be honest, I'd be surprised if Bernardo Silva leaves because he's one of my favourite Manchester City players. He's certainly a character, isn't he? And he's come along... As well, I mean, I just put that um, <clears throat> that picture on social media of him drinking coffee in the uh, in the Guard of Honour. 
<laughs> when uh, when Liverpool came to the Etihad, that was uh, one of my favourite memories of uh, anything anybody's ever done in the Guard of Honour, to be honest. But Ian, can you see it? Can you see this happening? Do you think it's uh, Do you think it's Bernardo's time to to call it a day? Because he wasn't quite at the the level we see in him in 2017, 2018, was he? Yeah, and I think reading between the lines, I was looking at this last night that um, it's not necessarily entirely about football um, whether he's being played or not or whether he's in favour at the club or not it seems that Bernardo himself is fancying a move back to Spain just for personal reasons really um, he's not really getting on with living in Manchester it seems um, finds it a little bit wet and uh, gloomy um, maybe somebody should have advertised that to him before he got here but so yeah it looks like I think that's maybe more the thing that he's got personal um, reasons for wanting to go back to Spain which, which he can understand you know if he's if he's got family and life there um, and the weather's a bit better then uh, you can probably see his point perhaps but I don't think it's necessarily from from what I was reading um, about it yesterday that it's it's not necessarily entirely down to performances or chances or or whatever I think he's quite happy on the footballing aspect of it but maybe there's other reasons that he wants to go live somewhere else well that that takes us on to a, a nice Nice little uh, next story because another player who's not quite happy with the football in reasons uh, is Insley Maitland Niles at um, at Arsenal. Now he he spent last year on loan uh, or the last uh, part of last season on loan at uh, West Brom, and he was basically wanting to push towards that England squad. And I think I think a lot, I I almost forgot about this that Insley Maitland Niles was in the England squad not so long ago, um, like last season. And he's one of them players you almost forget about, but he's he's basically saying quite openly that he wants to, to know about his future with Arteta, see where he's rated, and he wants to move if he's not going to get games. Now, we've seen Joe Willock go away from Arsenal for six months and you know enhance his reputation massively at Newcastle. So is it something similar for, um, for Ainsley Maitland-Niles? Nile, that's hard yeah. to say, Christ. Um, but yeah, is it is it something that he needs to take take control of now and, and say, you know, I need to think of me at this point in my career? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, you mentioned him being in the England squad. He shouldn't really have been in that England squad anyway. Um, he's not that good. He's an okay player. Uh, he needs to make himself a good player. Um I don't really much watch. I don't really watch much West Brom, and I can't really remember Ainsley Maitland Niles starring or standing out, or you know, being man of the match in any of the West Brom games that I did watch. Whether I'm being harsh on him, I don't know. I don't know enough about him to be honest. But is he going to make it at Arsenal? Maybe. I mean, like you say. Joe Willock went out on loan and really did grab that opportunity with both hands. And now Arsenal will be looking at him after his time at Newcastle and saying, he's someone who could make a difference for us next season. Do you get the same feeling with Ainsley Maitland-Niles? Personally, I don't. I think maybe he'd be better off sticking around um, uh, at West Brom, maybe another loan in the championship uh, and trying to gain some experience that way. It is quite crazy that he's got an England cap, but I don't think that defines him as a player. I think I want to see more from him. I don't really know too much about him anyway. I don't even know what sort of style of player he is, but he's not someone I'm, I'd be desperately disappointed to lose if I was an Arsenal fan. There's plenty of young talent there. Mikel Arteta seems to have some sort of idea of what he wants to do with the young players. Um, but obviously Ainsley Maitland-Niles, according to this report, isn't too sure on what his future is at Arsenal Football Club. Do Arsenal even know what their future is? 
um, is, is my question. So I can see why he's slightly frustrated, but he's played now a couple of seasons in the Premier League. He's played for England. So, you know, that is that's a decent achievement. I don't think he should have been in the England squad, but still, he's played for England. He can say that. He's played in the Premier League for West Brom. They went down. He's got some appearances for Arsenal under his belt. Maybe he does need to, to look at another loan next season and gain some experience because he's, he's not a particularly old guy, is he? He's still got plenty of years ahead of him in his career. So um, I'm not so sure what happens next for Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And, and to be honest... I think that he's not someone that I think is going to be the next big thing, sadly, for him. Well, we'll see what happens with Inslee Maitland-Niles. The one thing I would say about it is that he's got a higher reputation now than Joe Willock did when he before he came to Newcastle because he was even more um, sort of unknown and unproven. But Maitland-Niles is certainly someone who, who I think needs a, just a fresh start. I think he's made uh, a lot of talk about wanting to play central midfield for for whoever he plays so I think that was the main reason he went to West Brom because Arsenal were trying to get him into the team at right right back or right wing back or, or even left back at times and he, he didn't really fancy it so I think it's time for him to cut ties there at Arsenal and, and go and go and back yourself a little bit and you know be your own be the guy in charge of your own career there but we'll see what happens to him because it certainly looks like he's uh, he's on the lookout for a new club uh, but that leaves it there for part two we'll uh, be back after this we'll be answering your questions on the any question answered section of the podcast we'll see you shortly welcome back to football social daily we're into the third and final part of the podcast where as usual on a wednesday uh, we will be taking your questions we've got three questions today that have all came in via the medium of social media um ian we'll start with one for you uh, robert on instagram says should fans start cheering the knee from the moment it starts instead of waiting to hear these boos first and we've talked about quite a lot about the the booing on uh, this week's podcast and what we should do to 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 combat the muppets that that boo it and whatever. But do you think this is a route for it? Just instantly start cheering and and drowning people out in? Yeah, I mean it could work. Uh, I'm sure that you know if 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 it is a a noisy minority, then a noisy majority should cancel that out. So I can I can see the thinking. I mean, it is crackers that we're even having this debate that people are booing people who are, you know, protesting. And it's the people who are booing are certainly, in in my experience uh, of, of complaining about it, are the ones who uh, are, are not affected by the, the, the stand that's been taken and so therefore cannot speak on the subject. So why they're booing on it, I've got no idea. It's the biggest disrespect to the England players people say it's political it's not it's just about racism it's about not being a moron and what all it's doing is morons are just taking it and feeding the whole problem again the fact that they're booing shows that they need to carry on doing it so uh yeah we don't need your sort around here drown them out drown them out with cheering says ian niall do you uh do you agree because it, it did kind of happen a couple of times you know both the times against austria and romania as soon as the boo started to be fair to a, a few england fans or well quite a lot of england mm. fans they I did heard start applause. cheering yeah yeah and they started clapping and you know were trying to drown them out and and that kind of thing do you think that's the way to go um yeah i don't see any harm in it i mean like i said a couple of days ago when we discussed this after it happened one of the great things about living in this country is that you're able to express an opinion one way or the other and Sometimes there is no right or wrong answer, but but like I said before, I think in this case there is a right or wrong answer in terms of the fact that it's a misunderstanding. I think that the people that are booing are booing for a reason that they think is there, which isn't actually there. 
it's an invisible reason almost and it's about education and it's about getting through to these people but certainly if there are a majority of people who support the cause and support these footballers in what they're doing by taking a knee which I think is the right way to go and they feel that they want to cheer then they should do that absolutely they should do that um but again, it's up to people if they don't want to cheer one way or they don't want to boo, then they, they don't have to do anything at all. Um, but I certainly think that, you know, it, it's not going to be any harm to the cause, cheering, clapping, showing your appreciation and your support for a cause, which I think is, is exceptionally important um, in modern society. But yeah, certainly cheering or clapping, taking the knee it is not going to do the cause any harm whatsoever so it's totally up to whatever people want to do i think that if i was in the stadium i'd probably applaud it as well yep fair enough um okay we'll move on to something which is more football based um noah reed has been in touch on twitter um and he looks at the euros in uh, in the next couple of days and says who are your dark horses for the euros this summer ian is there anyone who you think should be uh, we should keep an eye on as potential dark horses for this one yeah there's a couple i think well we we won't. Are you going to say North Macedonia again? No, no, I don't think it's North <laughs> Macedonia's year. I think they're on a they're on a transitional year at the minute. Um, <laughs> I think England are actually dark horses, you know, because we've we've won nothing since 1966. Even Spurs have won stuff in that time. Um, home advantage <laughs> is a massive thing in a tournament, and out of 20 World Cups uh, that have happened, I know this is Euros, but just still a tournament. Out of 20 World Cups, the host nation has made at least the semi-finals 13 times. So home advantage is a massive thing. England are going to play all group games at Wembley, um, apart from a couple of knockout games. They could have one or two matches um, elsewhere in Europe, but that's all. The rest will be played at Wembley, and, um, and that's got to be a massive bonus because tickets have been allocated in this country uh, in the most part, and um, it's going to be, uh, for the most part, uh, quite a big home and partisan crowd so um so for that reason england we won't see as 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 dark horses because obviously we think england are going to win every single tournament that they ever enter and we managed to fluke it one year and and therefore we're the greatest team of all time but elsewhere in europe you know they will be looking thinking you know this could be england's year potentially with all that in our favor i think germany have got a good chance as well i think they're uh, they're on the way back i think a lot of people are fancying them i know again they don't seem to us to be a a, a, a sh- maybe a, an outsider but they've they've had a bit of a transition and uh, looking fairly strong again so, um, but you know, side of people like say Spain or Belgium, I think would be the obvious ones. But um, but yeah, I, I think England could come up on the rails. And I, I say uh, I, that that sounds like I'm picking a favourite. It is to us, but everywhere everywhere else in the world thinks we're probably a bit rubbish. <laughs> what uh, do you think, Niall? Um, I've seen a few teams before the tournament. Actually, I've watched a few of the pre-tournament friendlies. Um, I watched Poland against Iceland last night. I thought Poland looked a little bit disjointed, but they've got some decent players. They've lost um, Arkady Schmilik to a knee injury, so he won't be involved. Uh, I don't think Krzysztof Piantek's also playing, but they've got obviously Lewandowski, who is an exceptional player. Um, their defence uh, and fullbacks looked pretty decent last night, Poland. Um, so I don't know whether they'll do anything particularly, but um, I think the determination was certainly there from uh, from some of the players that I saw on offer last night. Um, also Austria, I thought that Austria were, were decent against England. And um, maybe if they can continue to be robust like that defensively and, and make it difficult for the tougher teams um, and then pick something up, at the other end maybe they'll be the ones um who you know who might be able to 
to, to spring something in the tournament. They, they always, I mean, much like Switzerland as well. Switzerland are another side that are always in the top 10 in terms of European nations, but they never really strike you as a team that's going to do much. So um, maybe it's time for one of those teams, because if you think back to Euro 2004, Greece were the winners of that tournament almost remarkably and they beat the Czech Republic I think didn't they in the final so two sides that you weren't expecting can sometimes happen in the Euros for me one I am going to keep a close eye on I'm not sure how they got on against the Republic of Ireland last night I didn't watch that friendly but Hungary they're in the group of death they're in group F with Germany Portugal and France no one has given them a chance but if they finish third and spring a surprise and manage to win any of those games then they might actually go through as the best third place team because of course that's how the qualification has been done this year for the last 16 for Euro 2020 so maybe Hungary is one to keep an eye on in that group of death can you imagine if they manage to qualify ahead of either of those three teams or any of those three teams Portugal France or Germany that would be some story so yeah I guess maybe rooting for the underdogs Hungary uh, looking at Group F. (laughs) I was actually, I thought Hungary had, had smashed Ireland last night and they ended up uh, drawing nil-nil, so it didn't sound like a, a thriller uh, there. But yeah, maybe they can uh, spring something like Greece did in 2004. Uh, they beat Portugal in the final now. Not uh, Czech Republic was the quarter-final, uh, the semi-final, sorry, they beat in the semi-final. Uh, when Milan Barros ended up that uh, that tournament as, as top <laughs> scorer, which was bizarre. But yeah, then they went and beat Portugal in the final with uh, Caristeus, wasn't it? That, that header he had um, with... Just the the moment of his life, he looked like one of the best players in the world at that tournament, and didn't really do much else. Uh, didn't he? He come to the Premier League, didn't he? The carried status at one point. I have no idea, mate. To be honest, but I just say I love that Czech Republic team um, with Nedved and Jan Koller and Paborski and Petr Cech in goal and Milan Baros. It was a very very good Czech Republic team. I'm a big fan of that that side. Yeah, they were good. Uh, they don't seem too good these days, but maybe that maybe they're another uh, little dark horse that we can look at in the in the coming weeks. Um, I've seen a lot of people back in Turkey as well um, as a potential uh, potential dark horse. But one thing I'm looking at is I think Ukraine will be uh, one of the potential dark horses just because I think they're a little bit better than everyone thinks they are. I think uh, Andrei Shevchenko is actually the manager at the minute, so they should have goals fl- flowing through that team if he's anything to go by in his uh, international record. But we'll see who uh, who stands out from the best of the rest type um, when the Euros kick off on Friday night. Um, last question. Uh, Angie on Instagram, one of the long-term fans of the podcast, she asked a couple of weeks ago now, so I'm going back a bit to, uh, to ask about this. Um, which player, it's quite an interesting one, this, which player from this season would you like to see become a pundit or who would you think would make a good pundit basically Ian we're looking for footballers with character which isn't always the easiest thing is it um but someone who you would like to see in the uh in the studio pundit studio well I'm going for well I think you know you look at Roy Keane and uh he's very blunt with with his opinions and how do you go up a notch from Roy Keane would be my question and that's the way that I'm uh, looking at this, and I'm nominating Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I think he would be an absolute <laughs> no-nonsense pundit, really telling it as it is. It'd make Roy Keane look like Gary Lineker. <laughs> go on, Niall, who you go for? Uh, slightly less charismatic than Zlatan. I'm going to go for Connor Cody, actually. I think, even though we've got uh, enough scousers in the punditry game at the moment, I think that 
the way Connor Cody's spoken in interviews um, when he's been uh, put in front of the microphone as captain of Wolverhampton Wanderers. I think he's spoken um, very, very well. I think he understands the game well. I think he's a good character. I think he's got uh, a little bit about him as well in terms of having a laugh. I mean, I think in terms of punditry, it's it's, um, Micah Richards at the moment is the one that's kind of making everyone chuckle and bringing a bit of a breath of fresh air to the studio whether or not he's the most um uh, you know best pundit the best analyst out there is another matter but he's certainly one that brings a smile to most people's faces i think connor cody can do a bit of both he's actually been in the sky sports studio before and i thought he did very very well acquitted himself well so that would be the one i'm i'm tipping to to have a future in uh, future career in media connor cody i think yeah, I think that's a good shout. Another one I would like to throw into the mix is uh, James Madison. <laughs> I think James Madison would be great. Um, he seems he seems very real. He seems very uh, matter of fact and and sort of says it out and says things how it is. I think he got a lot of plaudits for one of his post match interviews um, earlier this season. I can't remember who it was against, but he, he came out and said basically the answers that you wanted to hear and things about tactics that I saw. He was he was excellent. I'd love to see him uh, in some sort of roll I think they roll out anyone for the Euros don't they they, they have such a big team that anyone gets a, gets the shout so we'll see if uh, anyone takes him up on that but that'll wrap us up for today we've been rambling on for an hour about uh, everything from haircuts to dark horses to everything in between so we'll leave it there for now my thanks to you Niall and to you Ian cheers Marley thanks mate cheers thank you and we'll be back on Friday to look at the Euro 2020, which kicks off on Friday night with uh, Italy against Turkey, one of the dark horses that I've mentioned. And we'll uh, we'll be back from Monday on every day as we are through the Premier League season. So we'll see you then and join us then for another episode of Football Social Daily. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.